Let's start the recording. Okay, so we're holding, if you have the new book, we are on Lamed, uh, after the first paragraph. And if you are in the older book, so we're on Chav Beis, we're about uh, two or three lines in to the the page. All right, so we just got through thinking about and through talking about the idea of how everything in the world has a physical and a spiritual to it. And if you were to take the spiritual away from the world, what's going to happen is that you're going to uh, have a physical entity which will cease to, uh, so to speak, represent that which it once did. So for the example of the, uh, like we said, the, the deer on the road that gets hit by a car or something like that, that once, you know, it's, five minutes ago it was prancing around alive and now it's uh, lying on the side of the road right the soul has left it or the life force has left it and in being that the life force has left it all of a sudden over the course of time this uh, body this corpse is now going to i don't know if you call it a deer's <laughs> body a corpse whatever but right over the course of the time the, the the body itself is just going to deteriorate and it's going to return to being dust so we see that in each element we went through human beings animals we went through the idea of the vegetable kingdom in everything you have a spiritual aspect, you have a physical aspect in it. And when you take the spiritual aspect away from it, what happens is that you're left with an inanimate physical thing which is not alive. Okay, it's more extensive than what we just said, but that's a good uh, kitzer for it. So he says like this, So when a person will meditate on all of this, how in every single thing there is an or v'chayis eloki, right? There's a life force, a godly life force that's going into it. And not just that there happens to be made up of two things of equal importance. The main thing is the or eloki that's going into it. And the nivroyim, the creations, are in truth nullified to this or loki, to this godly life force, not just that, to their root and to their source from which they came. That's what they're, that's what they're nullified to. Like we gave the example yesterday in terms of a human being that a person has his kaychas and he has his ratzen, right? And we said how a person's kaychas, for example, his seichel, his intellect, right? How the seichel, what happens is that it is mislabish, the higher level kaychas are mislabish in the lower level kaychas, right? So what we have is, for example, a great uh, musician, a pianist or something like that, right? The kaychatenua, the power of movement in his fingers, is a very simple movement. However, when you enclose within that the seichel of how to play piano that, for example, this famous pianist has developed over, you know, decades of his life, right? So the higher level Kayach uh, of the brain power is now being mislabish. It's being enclosed within the power of the tenua of the fingers that he's able to come out and play this beautiful music that we all hear, right? So that's the idea of how a lower level Kayach is bottled to a higher level Kayach. And the finger itself, the physical finger, is nullified to the 
lower level kayak. So you have a line, you have a physical thing, that's the finger. You have the lower level kayak, which is the power of movement. Then you have the higher level kayak, which is the power of the intellect that is able to mislabish itself, is able to enclose itself within these things in order to be able to be able to pre- uh, play this beautiful song that a person is playing. Then you have even a higher level of nullification, which takes place when the person's rotson. A person has a will for something that even if it doesn't make sense, he all of a sudden decides out of nowhere to move his hand. Right? All of a sudden the hand moves without any, without any uh, hesitation, thank God. Right? Or a person who, whose will might be to do something that is very uncomfortable to the body. Like the example that we gave yesterday when we go to Tzvah. So everyone wants to go to the Arizal's Mikvah. Right? So no body wants to go into a, uh, you know, whatever it is, 30 or 40 degree uh, uh, body of water or 50 degree body of water. I have no idea how cold it is there, but it's quite freezing. But nevertheless, we can, through our will, we're able to, so to speak, subjugate our body to making sure that it does what our will wants it to do. So we see this in our own personal lives on a day-to-day basis, how our body, our physical body, is nullified to the kaychas or the will that we have within ourselves. So all the more so it expresses itself in terms of the orloki, the godly life force which is inside of ourselves. So when a person thinks about this and he, and he specifically uses this mashal, because we want to use the mashalim, the parables, in order that we should be able to um, bring something that we are close to, something that we are uh, very conscious of something that's tangible in our lives as opposed to just thinking in abstract terms. If you tell someone about an oral key, what's an oral key? I have no idea what that is. I've never seen it before. I haven't tasted it before. I don't know what it lo- sounds like. I don't know what it you know, looks like. It's something that's very abstract and, it's, and as much as we could think what we think it is, right, it's a very, it's a, it's, it's, it's a very intangible thing to be able to cause ourselves to make a uh, internalized change in our lives from it. But if we could use the things in our life that are tangible, that we are conscious of, and then apply them to this godly idea, then we're talking about something different. Then we're taking something that is much more within my reach, and therefore I'm going to be able to internalize this idea, and hopefully it's going to make an everlasting change. And that's what he says here. So by using this mashalim, and then transferring it to the nimshal, a person should be able to arouse within himself a greater will, a desire, a thirst, and a love for God. That he wants, he wants more godliness in his life. He sees that this is the emiss. He sees that this is what it's all about. He sees that this is really the truth behind everything. So this is what he wants. To the extent... That is whole chafetz. Now, why does he use the word chafetz here as opposed to ratzon? Chafetz means a will, but something that you have an inner pleasure from it, right? So your whole pleasure, your whole drive is going to be towards elokus because that's what you're going to want because you realize that that's the emes. That's what it's all about. That's what the world is running on. Right? And your person is not going to want the external, the superficial things of this world, the physical things of this world, which is really death when it, you separate it, right? In other words, like that was the example that we brought all along for the last uh, four classes or so, right? And we really have, have brought out all the details in this uh, particular mashal. But when you look at the physicality by itself, without the soul, without the spiritual energy within it, without, at the end of the day, what is it? It's death. It's not alive. 
right? It's something that is just going to deteriorate into dust, as we see, right? So with that in mind, Hayavim Nifsadim, they're just going to be lost. Lo so he's only rock. He's only going to want the chayes aloki. That's what he's going to want. That's what he's going to be longing for. That's what he's going to be doing things for. That's going to be, in in essence, his motivation to do the things that he does. And now, at the very least, or the more so, he would say, we're not going to separate the physicality from the spirituality. So point one we're bringing here is our overall outlook. Our overall outlook is an idea that is saying that I want to do things that are godly. I want godliness. I want Hashem. I'm excited about Yiddishkeit. So how does that manifest? I'm going to try to be more careful with my mitzvahs. I'm going to learn more Torah. I'm going to try to daven more. All the things that we know how it manifests. The next level down we're saying now is, or the next, not level down, but the next level, the next point is that we're at least not going to separate the physical from the spiritual. Now, how does that, man, how does that play out? So as we explained, the Gashmias is nullified in truth to the Or Eloki, to the Chayas Eloki that's inside of it. However, this is a key point here. We know that Hashem placed a lot of the, so to speak, the power, the management, right, of the world into our hands. So by a person taking a physical thing, right, and giving the importance to that physical thing as being the physicality of that thing, Namely, his main impact is just, I want to have pleasure from this physical thing. So through this, we pull it down and we send it down lower. So in other words, what is he talking about here? This is basically what we talk about in chapter 7 of Tanya. So let's take an apple. So an apple, as we've now dis- discovered, we've now discussed for the last three or four days, is made up of a, a spiritual element and a physical element, right? So that is what we call that the energy is coming from klipas noga. Klipas noga is klipa, albeit, right? It's not expressing godliness. When you look at an apple, you don't say, wow, that's God, right? On the other hand, right, we know that that is something that we have the potential, it's within our hands to elevate. So there is a godly spark in it, godly sparks in it that could be elevated, and also they're being covered over, they're being concealed. Now, the apple in and of itself is not doing anything negative, it's not doing anything positive, it just is. It's a neutral thing. However, when a Jew goes after the apple just because of, just because of the, just because of the, the desire for this apple. I don't know if a person could ever have such a strong desire for an apple, whatever, but let's use that as an example for a lot better, better than some other things, right? If a person has such an unbelievable desire for this apple, what he's doing essentially is he's separating the gashmias, the physicality from the spirituality. And therefore, instead of using the opportunity to elevate the godly sparks that are in this apple, what he's essentially doing now is sticking the godly sparks that are in the apple and sending them lower into the three klipas Timaeus. That's what's going on. So this is the second point of this whole paragraph. The first point of the paragraph is, let's look at the overall direction which I want to go in. 
the overall direction which I want to go in is a godly direction. Because I recognize that, that everything physical is just bottle, is just nullified to the godliness that's inside of it. Point number two is let's look at it in a very practical day-to-day basis. What am I going to focus on? Am I going to focus on the delicious, red delicious or whatever, Fuji, Granny Smith, whatever, apple? That I'm, or am I going to recognize that this apple is, has godliness in it? And therefore, really, what I need to be doing with this apple is elevating the apple through uh, making a bracha on the apple, through thinking that I'm going to use this apple for a source of energy for me to do the godly things that I'm doing in my life, etc., etc. That's what he's bringing out here. The gam is ha'olam nasam belibo shal adam, like we just said, that the world was given into the hearts of man. That's why, if you think about it, Right? So Adam made a sin, right? He, he, he ate from the eight sadas. But why should that have impacted the entire world? Why shouldn't it have just impacted him? He did something wrong. The trees didn't do anything wrong. The animals didn't do anything wrong, right? The physicality of the world didn't do anything wrong. No, because the whole world was put into his hands. And therefore, the things that a person does is not just a microcosm, it's, just, it's not just a standalone action. Right? Just like Adam Arishon, by him eating from the Eitz Adas, caused there to be an impact on the entire existence. In the same way, a person has to look at his life in that same manner. That it's, he's not a standalone being. That he's just you know, plodding along life and doing his own thing. And whatever happens to me, happens to me. You know, I make my own decisions, I have my own life, I could do whatever I want. In Achinami, you could do whatever you want. But the person himself is impacting the entire world. And the things that he do, does, it either elevates the world or, God forbid, the opposite. Right? So that's what he's saying here. By him, by, that's what he says, Because there to be a separation in the entire world. That's the key that the, that the Rebbe is bringing here. That's the way it is by every single individual. In other words, a person has to recognize that he is part of a greater whole. And the way he conducts himself in the world is not going to only impact himself. It's going to impact, obviously, we see with certain things that it impacts you know, the people around us in a very real way, by the way he speaks, by the way he acts, etc., etc., etc. But also in a much more deep, sublime way, we are able to see that, in fact, the world is being impacted by Right by the good or by the opposite of it, like the Rebbe always told us. Right, we have to look and according to the Rambam that the world is on like a scale, and if one more good deeds, right, this is the idea here that we have to look at ourselves that we can't just go about our life as being oh I'm just my own individual self and the whole world could you know it has nothing to do with me. So going back to our example of the apple. So through him just wanting to have this physical desire, this physical you know, enjoyment just for this apple and having no real, um, real sensitivity to the apple, even to the apple itself, why it came into the world, right? It causes it to go down. There's a famous story, I, I don't remember where, which, one of the Hasidic Rebbe's tells a story about the whole... Uh, how did it go? I don't know, something along the lines of, I'll just give you the gist of the story, that a person went into a bar and, right, sounds like the beginning of a joke or something, you know, two guys went into a bar, no, this person went into a bar 
and 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 he bought a, a bottle of beer and and then he did and he drank it down and the the rabbi or someone someone told him imagine like this that a um sometimes a soul has to come down into this world after they passed away from this world and they actually they actually get uh, uh what is it called reincarnated into a physical thing instead of being reincarnated into a body into a human being sometimes it could be into an animal based on the things that he did and sometimes it could be even into a vegetable so imagine like this a soul comes down into into a blade of uh of wheat or what, a sheaf of wheat whatever it is or barley i guess it was or hobs and imagine what's happening here right the grain winds up growing from the ground and think about it how many of those grains get lost because the wind blows them off the thing or an animal comes and eats it or a bird comes and eats it so this person this soul that came down into this grain right is sitting there watching to see is it going to make it is going to make it and then what happens is that eventually thank god it made it to the point that it became totally uh, um, you know ready for katsira for ready for harvest and they go and they harvest it they harvest they start cutting down the sheaves of wheat or whatever and imagine how many sheaves of wheat get lost and then finally this is one of the ones that didn't get lost the majority of it thank god then it winds up being threshed and then it winds up being winnowed and then it winds up being and all along different you know grains are going all different places and then they decide to make it into beer and they make it into beer. They're trying to make it into beer. So many of the, the kernels get lost and so many of this gets lost. The, but this makes it into the beer and finally makes it into the beer. And then now it becomes, they go into the bottling stage. And then lots of, you know, the liquid gets lost in the bottling stage. It wasn't like, you know, now as a professional as it is in these days. And finally, it gets into a bottle of beer. That bottle of beer gets shipped to different bars and different stores. Now this bottle of beer is sitting on the shelf of a, of a, of a bar that majority of people that are going into it are not Jewish. And what happens, they, they grab the bottles of beer off the wall or whatever, and they start drinking it. And it gets to the point that there are two bottles left. There are only two bottles left. And this Jewish person comes into the store, and this non-Jewish person comes into the store. And the non-Jewish person goes first, and he buys this bottle. And it's not at this bottle. And he's, he's in the bottle that's left. The Jewish person decides to buy it, and finally, after this whole distance, he's finally made it to this person's hands and he's ready for him to make a bracha, to elevate the whole bottle. And what does he do? He drinks down the whole beer without a bracha. And then the Rebbe told him, this particular Rebbe, I don't remember which Rebbe it was, you should just know that that, that bottle of beer had the soul of your father in it. That's what he told him. Famous story, you probably heard it before. This is the element. This is the point that he's bringing here. In one sense, you know, you could, you're elevating... You don't know what you're elevating. Number one, you're elevating the sparks that are bichlal in, in the wheat or the barley or the hobs or whatever it is. And number two, you're elevating, you don't know what impact you're making on the different spiritual beings that are in the world. And that's what he says here. However, harehu mafridoso. He separates it, right? He decides just to have the pleasure from the bottle of beer, right? When he could have used it, he could have elevated, he could have made a bracha, he could have elevated, he could have used it. Lahefach. However, the opposite, instead, when he wants to elokus, 
in this physical thing. When he decides that he wants to go for the alokus in this thing, in that situation, you're able to elevate it. You're able to elevate this godly sparks that are inside the klipas noga. You're able to elevate this apple, this bottle of beer, this clothing, this car, whatever it is, right? Right? And it becomes apparent how the physicality of the thing is actually nullified to the spirituality within the thing, the godly aspect of the thing. That's the job that we're trying to do here. The job that we're trying to do here is to show in every element of our life, whether it's in the physical action that we're doing or in the physical thing that we're in being involved in or interacting with, that it's the godliness that's in that thing, that that is what the world was created for. Okay? Good? Okay, so let's stop here for today. It's a shorter cast for today, but uh, we got to a, a new, like a... Uh, end of a section here, because now what we have to do is now we have to take all of this, all of these ideas that we have been talking about for the last four or five days, and then put them together then to see, okay, now where do I go from here in our discussion? Beseder? As long as we're saying the story. There's a great story along the same lines of, uh, of um, this idea of incarnation, reincarnation, that it talks about in the Heavenly City book, um, by Menachem Gerlitz, that the story goes that there was a, a Jew that was living, when was it? It must have been over about 120 years ago in the old city of Yishalayim, uh, whose name was Reb Shalom. And no one really knew where he came from, whatever. They say afterwards that he was hidden tzaddik. But his job was to go around the old city, all throughout Yerushalayim and wake people up. And that's what he would do. They used to have uh, literally a vekar, just like we have in, in the dorm, in the yeshiva, a vekar. We used to have whatever. They used to have someone that would walk around and tap on the, tap on the windows of the people's houses to wake people up to go to, uh, go to Davin. And what happened was that there was, at that time, there was a starting of people that were, uh, not starting, but there were people that were not uh, religious or we're trying to espouse to a not religious uh, point of view, even in Eretz Yisrael. And what happened was that one of them, as he was walking, as this Reb Shalom was walking around, he threw uh, some bad water at him, some uh, disgusting water at him, whatever it was that he threw at him. And, you know, Reb Shalom didn't say anything about it, and he kept on going, and that, and that was the story. He kept on going. Anyway, that day, that person died. Now, uh, unbeknownst to everyone, you know, whatever, the, to Shalom. The next day when he came around, all of a sudden a black dog, a big black dog out of nowhere, uh, came right up to him and he was jumping and following him along and everyone, no one knew where this black dog, he couldn't get rid of this black dog, what was this black dog about? And, and that went on. And then the next day again, the same black dog came out of nowhere. And someone mentioned the name of this, uh, this person and the, the dog went, started going crazy. Like really, uh, you know, jumping up and down, wild. Anyway, this went on for a number of days, and everyone was like noticing it, and they didn't know, you know, this is this seems very unusual. So Shalom took it to the to the court, the Beis Din, in in Yerushalayim, and what happened was that that the head of the Beis Din went to get Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld, who was very also very close to this Rabbi Shalom, believed him. And they brought in the family of the person who passed away, and they decided that it was in Taka. It was a, um, 
it was a, uh, a Gilgal of this person. And since this person tried to put out the light of learning Torah and waking up early and to, to learn Torah and to dive into the Abishter, that from now on this family was going to take on themselves a tikkun that they were going to supply the uh, hot uh, drinks and wood or whatever, the fuel for fires in, the, in different matem, um, in shuls in Yerushalayim, that, that the Yidin should be able to stay up late into the night learning Torah. That was decided. They accepted it upon themselves. They did tshuva. It was like they changed their whole ways. And then they asked Shalom that, that he should forgive this. Uh, when the dog comes the next day, that he should forgive him and it should be fine. So, in fact, that's what wound up happening, that uh, they took on themselves. And they, the next day, the dog came and Shalom said that the person, that, that person's name, and he says, forgives him, forgives him, forgives him. And under the auspices of the basting of Yerushalayim, under Yosef Chaim Zandenfeld, that he is considered forgiven, and he is considered like it's completely finished. And from that day on, the dog disappeared. No one ever saw the dog again. And to, they say for, for like 100 years, this family has a tradition, you know, still to the, I don't know if it's still to this day, but at least to like 30 years ago, 40 years ago, that they would still bring teas and coffees and everything like that to, uh, to the shuls in Yerushalayim. So it's an interesting story that uh, is documented uh, in uh, this book called The Heavenly City, or Yerushalayim Shel Maila in, uh, in Hebrew, that's what it's called. All right, anyway, <laughs> that's a good way to...